We're in Luke chapter number 23 in our Bibles, and I want you to leave your Bible open there. We're going to look at this story in a moment about the thief on the cross and uh, pull some truth out of the uh, scripture there from Luke 23. I love preaching to our church family. I love our church family. And uh, I'm amazed at the things that you remember from the services, you know, preached a few weeks ago. And uh, I don't think anybody could probably tell me what I preached about, but you, many of you remember the coffee. And I know that because for the last month, I've had random text messages, people sending me a picture of their coffee, Brother Jude, I drink it black, you know, and uh, those types of things. And so I don't know what you'll get from this service, but probably you'll remember that Brother Lawrence read the wrong passage of scripture. <laughs> Pastor will come back, how was the service? Oh, it was great. Brother Lawrence read the wrong passage of scripture, but anyhow, I love getting, giving Brother Lawrence a, wrong, uh, a hard time. I'm amazed at his stamina. He goes running around during that marriage retreat and <laughs> taking gift cards to everybody, and uh, I love working with him, and it's a, it's a joy, really it is. He's got such a servant's heart, great soul winner. Appreciate his family. Last summer, I was at Triple S Christian Ranch. I go there every year for the last several years, and I'll preach to a group of teenagers there this, this summer, this past summer. There were about 500 teenagers or so there in Rosebud, Arkansas. If you've never been to Rosebud, Arkansas, uh, you're not missing much. There's the ranch and a stoplight, and that's about it, pretty much what you would imagine in, in Rosebud, Arkansas. But we were there preaching, and it was a Wednesday night. I'd already preached several weeks of camps during the summer, and so I was a little weary. And I've discovered that I, I catch some allergies in June and kind of caused me to lose my voice some. And so I was uh, trying to be careful with my voice. And it was a Wednesday night there at Triple S. I had preached, we gave the invitation, and it was an extended invitation. The Lord was meeting with people, and a young lady had kind of called me. Uh, to the back where she was, and I went back there to talk with her, and that's not unusual, the camp scenario and teenagers getting right with God, and it's not unusual at all to spend some time with a, a teenager wanting to talk. And this young lady began to tell me how her life was pretty much unraveling. Because of other people's sins and decisions, she began to go into detail what she was facing, and, and I've got to be honest with you, you think you've heard it all, but, but as she was talking to me, I, I realized that she was in a very difficult position. I knew that she would be looking for answers and asking me for an answer. I had no idea what I would say to her, and eventually, as she laid the whole case out, she said, Brother Judah, I've lost hope. But I don't want to lose hope. Can you help me? I've lost hope, but I don't want to lose hope. Can you help me? I gave her some scriptures and we prayed together, but I've got to be honest. I don't know that I've ever quite heard such a desperate situation. And this morning in our text, We've been introduced to a desperate man, this thief on the cross. We've looked at a hopeless situation. I've got a picture of it. Can we 
put the picture on the screen, just a picture that I found. But if you can imagine what it was like that day, of course, Jesus in the middle, and the Bible says two thieves on either side. Understand that this scenario taking place, this is a hopeless situation. I mean, this is truly the end of the road. These men are going to die. There's nothing they can do about it at this point. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no human way that they could experience a good end. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever found yourself in a position where there was no light at the end of your tunnel? There was no way. I mean, in your mind, as you're thinking through, uh, there's just no hope. You could call it a desperate situation. I've been there before. You've been there before. Wondering if you're going to make it. A marriage where there's no human way that it could work out. There's been sin, there's been transgression, there are uh, irreconcilable differences. Maybe a situation at your job that seems impossible. That helpless feeling when a child is uh, doing their own thing and, and they've gone astray. I'm talking about a desperate situation. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And we could come to church and put on a suit and tie and and put on a smile, and I hope that you've got the joy of the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, all of us will experience from time to time hopeless situations. And this man was in a hopeless position. This thief on the cross, I mean, his sin had led him there. He was there by his own mouth. He was there because he deserved to be there. And there he is, just moments away from death, staring death in the face. No hope whatsoever. As I've been thinking about this man for the last week or so, the Lord's given me some insight into his desperate situation. And I want to show you the power of four things this morning in a hopeless situation. The power of four things if you find yourself in a situation like this man. I want you to see the power of four things. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll preach the message. Father, I pray that you would help us now as we look to your word. Lord, all of us need help from time to time. Perhaps there's somebody in the church this morning that's desperate. Somebody in the church this morning, and they dragged themselves here. There's no light at the end of the tunnel for them. They find themselves wondering what they're going to do and if there'll ever be some relief. God, I pray that your word would do a work in their heart this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Perhaps there's those in the room bound by sin, lost. Pray that they would be saved today. And those that are Christians that are just in a tough spot, help us, God, to gain from the message in Jesus' name. I pray and ask these things, amen. The power of four things that I want you to recognize in the story of the thief on the cross. First of all, I want you to recognize the power of sin. The power of sin. You see, it was sin that put this man in this hopeless situation. It was sin that led him to this cross. It was sin that had him hanging there, the end of the road. No light at the end of the tunnel. Sin, the power of sin. 
I was studying this man and, and uh, I, I looked at his story in each of the gospels. And in each of the gospels, we learn something different about this thief on the cross. One of the ways to study the Bible is to study titles given in the Bible. And you can learn something. I've never met this thief. You'll never meet the thief. We'll meet him in heaven someday. But, but I don't know much. The Bible doesn't record much about his story. But if you study the titles given to him, you, we can learn a little bit about this man. My friend, Brother Woosley, is sitting over here. And, and if uh, some of you don't know Brother Woosley, and if you don't know him, and if he were just in a crowd of people, maybe his wife would come up to him and say, uh, sweetheart, you forgot to fill in the blank. But you would know from that title that he has a sweetheart. Maybe his children would come up to him and say, hey, hey, dad. And without ever talking to him, you would know that he's a father. Maybe a player on the basketball team would come up to him in that time and say, hey, coach, are we having practice tomorrow? And, and without ever talking to him, you would be able to figure out he's a husband, he's a father, he's a coach, just by the titles. And so this thief on the cross in Matthew, the Bible calls him a thief. That's somebody who takes something that doesn't belong to him. In Mark, the Bible calls him a transgressor. A transgressor. That's taking it a step further. A transgressor is somebody who in his sin crosses a line. He's a transgressor. In Luke, he's called a malefactor. I've looked that word up, but I've tried to find a definition. It's an old word, but malefactor, from the best that I can figure out, is somebody who needs to be restrained. They need to be restrained because if they're not restrained, they will choose the wrong path every time. They called Jesus a malefactor. Of course, uh, they were lying about him, but what they were saying in essence is, if we don't, if we don't restrain him, he will choose an evil way. This man, just by title, is a thief. He's a transgressor who has crossed the line. He is a malefactor who, if not restrained, will choose an evil way. And then in John, something very interesting in the book of John, he's simply referred to, you can read it for yourself, he's simply referred to as other. From a thief to a transgressor, to a malefactor, and then to other. You say, Brother Judah, what's the significance of that? Well, I believe that sin had stripped him of everything, turned him into a statistic. Sin had robbed him of even his identity. This sin that led him to the cross, my friend, sin placed him in a desperate situation. And some of us need to realize if we're ever going to find some hope that we need to deal with the sin that has placed us in the situation that we're in. Billy Sunday said one reason sin flourishes is that we treat it like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. We let sin in our lives and we find ourselves in this hopeless situation. You need to realize that sin will take everything from you. Sin had placed this man on the cross to where soon he would just be referred to as other. No history, no background, no name, no description, just other. That's the power of sin. I'm thinking of a young man right now. His name is not James, but just for his sake, I'll call his name James. 
a young man that I met years ago, years and years and years ago. He was the life of the party. He was the leader of the youth group. It was many years ago. He was a personality plus. James was just the kind of guy that, that had all kinds of gifts and abilities. He could sing. He was funny. He, uh, he was very personable. He was really a youth pastor's dream. I mean, he's the guy that you wanted to go meet, greet the visitors, and just a, a good young man. Personality plus. One day it came to our attention that he was caught looking at things that were just inappropriate. Had a meeting with me and the preacher. And in that meeting, we tried to explain to him, Brother Herzl, how uh, this was wrong, how this would warp his mind. And James sat there respectfully. He listened, very respectful. But he said this. He said, you know, I'm just looking. I haven't done anything. I'm just looking. We pleaded with him to, to get right with God. We pleaded with him. And he was respectful, but at the end of the day, he walked out. Watch this. He was, he was ashamed that he was caught, but he wasn't ashamed for the sin. There's a difference, my friend. Years went by, and he went off to Bible college, gave his 13th year to the Lord. He after that, went into the military, and there he served in the Middle East. Then I got word that he moved back to the south and was uh, uh, in church there. I heard about the day that he got married, had some children. I even heard that he was going around singing in one of these gospel groups and testifying, and I thought to myself, boy, that's perfect for him. I could see him using those gifts and abilities. He could, he could walk up to an instrument, having never seen it before, literally, and play it, and was just, you hate people like that, you know? And I heard that he was in a gospel group, and traveling the country somewhat regionally, and singing, and playing for the Lord, and maybe preaching some, and then I heard of the day. And as he was walking out of his house, he was greeted by some uh, police officers and they took his laptop and they took his telephone. They went into his house and they took all of his electronics and today, today, sits in prison. You see, that, that little sin that went unchecked, that little sin that was never dealt with, that little sin that just lived in his life in the background, but grew and grew and grew. Eventually, it placed him in a hopeless situation, a desperate place. The power of sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death, the Bible says. And this sin had placed this man on the cross, the power of sin. Number two, I want you to notice this in the scripture. Not only do I see the power of sin, but I see the power of the Bible. The power of the Bible. You say, Brother Jude, I don't see it. Well, initially, both of these thieves mocked him. Initially, both thieves reviled and railed against the Lord. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 44, the thieves, plural, the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. In Mark chapter number 15, the Bible says, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. 
So you have to understand, my friends, that when Jesus was on the cross uh, between these two thieves, if you read, especially in the book of Matthew, you'll see that a crowd had gathered, much like the picture, and in the crowd, uh, they were cursing the Lord and mocking the Lord and making fun of the Lord. And both of these thieves in the beginning were right there with the crowd. But you know and I know that this thief has a change of heart. Something happens. Something happens to him that breaks through and causes him to look at the Lord and to pray. Something happens. You say, Brother Judah, well, what do you think happened? I've, I've read and I've heard some people say that, that he saw Jesus suffer with dignity and integrity. And that changed his heart. And maybe, maybe that's the case. I don't want to take away from that, but I want you to remember he's suffering as well on a cross. Here's what I think happened, church. In between the time that he was mocking Christ with the other thief in the crowd and the time that his heart changed, there in that desperate situation, he heard these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's the power of the Bible. It's the power of the word of God. Jesus Christ, of course, speaking, he is the word of God. And when he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. I believe this thief began to have a change of heart. I believe he began to see that he was wrong. I believe that perhaps he recognized that there could be some hope for him. It's the power of the word of God, the scripture, quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit in desperate times, in hopeless situations. Church, you need the Bible. You need the Bible. Sometimes people say, oh, that's all preachers ever say. Read the Bible and pray. Read the Bible and pray. Well, my friend, it's a pretty good answer for whatever situation you're in. The power of the Bible. The power of the scriptures. Pour it into the, pour the Bible into your mind and into your heart. Uh, meditate on it. Think about it. Uh, uh, get off of Facebook. I heard a preacher saying, I love it. Get off of Facebook. Get your face in the book. Uh, that's what we need in desperate times. The power of the word of God. In hopeless situations, I need the Bible. You need the Bible. We need verses like, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. We need verses like, be strong and have a good courage. Fear not, neither be afraid, for the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Man, in desperate situations, get in this book and let the book get in you. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. I like that scripture that says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In hopeless times, man, we turn to the professionals, we turn to medicine, we turn to just about every else, but don't neglect the word of God, the power of the Bible. 
This man didn't have time to see a doctor. He didn't have time to take some medicine. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying he was in a hopeless situation. And one verse, one verse changed his heart. And how about you, friend? How are you with the word of God today? The devil wants to keep you from it. I promise you that. Man, if your head is down this morning, I will lift up mine eyes under the hills from whence cometh my help, the Lord. Uh, my help cometh from the Lord. When you feel like you're about to slip, the psalmist said, when I said, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. Get in the book and let the book get in you. Hopeless situations, the power of sin, the power of the scripture, Man, we need to pour it into our lives. A man came to Gypsy Smith and said to Gypsy Smith, he said, he had received no inspiration from the Bible, though he had gone through it many times. There's some in this room feeling that exact same way. Sounds good, Brother Judah, but I've been through the Bible many times. Gypsy Smith looked at the man and he said, you've been through the Bible many times. Let the Bible go through you one time. And then you'll find the help that you're looking for. My friend, it's time we open our hearts and our eyes up to the word of God and not just go, go through the Bible, but let the Bible go through us. The power of the word of God. Next, and I'm excited to bring this point, the power of prayer. Hopeless situation, desperate times. We see in this man's life the power of sin. We see in his life the power of a scripture. What verse are you clinging to this morning? But we also see the power of prayer. Now, now think about this. I don't know, I've, I've told some people this, this excites me. Here's Jesus on the cross, right? Hey, how many of you have ever visualized it in your mind, the three crosses there? You've, you've seen it in your mind. Raise your hand, would you? Uh, most of us have. I've never seen it this way, Brother Mitchell. Maybe I was just blinded to it, but, but there, that's often how I see it, right there. Jesus, perhaps, with his head down, maybe his head lifted up towards heaven. But when going through this passage, I saw something in verse number 43. Of course, we're talking about the power of prayer. He said unto Jesus in verse 42, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And look at this, Jesus said unto him. In other words, at some point, man, this excites me. I might be the only one that gets it, I don't know. But I, I've been, I'm putting two and two together in my mind. It just excites me. At some point, Jesus is on that cross and he turns his head and he's talking to the thief, Brother Herzl. I mean, think about it. He said unto him, when everybody else had turned their back on the thief, when everybody else had walked away from this man in a hopeless situation, Jesus gives him the respect that he doesn't deserve. He turns and he looks at him and he speaks to him. And the Bible says that he says this in verse number 43, verily I say unto you, he speaks truth to him. Verily, that just means of a truth. Here's a thief who no doubt had lived in a world of lies. Here's a thief. There's no honor among thieves. He was used to lying and being lied to. 
He was used to people talking behind his back all about him. Here he is in a hopeless situation. Jesus is speaking right at him, giving him exactly what he needs. The truth, my friends, let me just say, you're never so desperate that God won't remember you. You're never so desperate that God won't look at you, that he doesn't know exactly what you need. This man needed truth. Now, let's look at, let's look at what he prayed for and what Jesus gave him. What he prayed for and what Jesus gave him. He prayed for this. He said, Lord, in verse number 42, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. In verse number 43, Jesus said unto him, verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, I'll bring you with me. He said, Lord, when, when? And Jesus said, today. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, we're not talking about the kingdom. We're talking about paradise here in this desperate situation, exceeding abundantly above all this man could ask or think. That's the power of prayer in hopeless times. My friend, are you praying? Are you praying? You say there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I wonder how many husbands have quit praying. I wonder how many wives have quit praying. I wonder how many mothers have quit praying. Man, their son or daughter has gone astray and, and they've quit praying. Don't ever quit praying. The power of prayer. This thief didn't deserve it, but we see the compassion of God. Loving him, noticing him, looking at him, giving him what, exactly what he needed. The power of sin, the power of the Bible, the power of prayer. Johnny Pope was 16 or 17 years old, raised in a preacher's home. He would tell the illustration far better than me, but raised in a preacher's home, he knew exactly what was right. He'd been around it his whole life. At 16 or 17, he went astray, got away from God by his own testimony, he would say he went out to the parties and, and to the dances on Friday nights and Saturday nights and would stay out all hours of the night. His mom and dad tried to restrain him, but he couldn't be restrained. He said he started noticing as he came home late in the evening or early in the morning, a pair of his shoes just in the living room there, just out, middle of the living room floor. He said he noticed it Friday after Friday. Man, it bothered him. He'd come home early on a Saturday morning. There'd be his shoes there in the middle of the floor, and he would have to pick them up and put them away. I had no idea what was going on. One day, by his own testimony, he came home early, earlier than usual. He had been out, prodigal, away from God. And he came home earlier than usual. When he came home, uh, there were his shoes there in the center of the living room floor, but his mother was bent over his shoes, praying, crying over his shoes. God, keep Johnny safe. Keep his foot from evil. Uh, God, uh, keep him uh, protected. He said he saw his mother praying bent over, and he felt so guilty of sin that right then and there, uh, he, he turned it around. He rededicated his life to Christ. Friend, that's the power of prayer. The power of prayer in a hopeless situation. She wasn't an educated lady, he would say, but she was a praying lady. Let me tell you what we need. If, we're, if we find ourselves desperate, 
desperate. Man, we run to everybody for help. Counseling lines are long. But have you gone to God about it? We see in this man perhaps the most hopeless case that I could point out in the scripture. The power of sin, the power of the Bible to break his heart, the power of prayer. And then we see in closing the power of God. The power of God on full display. To be able to look at this man and to say today shalt thou be with me in paradise. No one else could make that guarantee. Nobody else could save him in that way. Only God could do it. Only God could carve a path through the Red Sea. Only God could send an earthquake at midnight that opened up a, a jail where Paul and Silas were. Only God can do those things. Perhaps you're in a hopeless situation. Perhaps you sit here and you say, man, I need something that only God can do. Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of hope. God can do it. There were two thieves. Two thieves. We've spent the whole message talking about one. But what about the other one? There were two there. Jesus in the middle. I believe there were two for this reason. Number one, the first thief shows us that there is no situation so hopeless that God can't intervene. The second one shows us that there's no guarantees. He's not obligated. As far as I know, that second thief never did repent. He never did get right. He never did experience the hope. He is not in paradise today. He's in hell today. He did not respond to the truth of the word of God. We sit here today in desperate times, hopeless situations, all across this auditorium, families unraveling and, and things that we need help. We need help from God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder who would say, Brother John, I need help from God. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Well, which thief are you? Lee Robertson put it this way. He said, two men behind prison bars. One looked at the mud, the other the stars. What are you looking at today? Both thieves in a helpless situation. One turned to Christ. He recognized the power of sin that brought him to that place. Hey, he did humble himself. He did repent. He did get right. He acknowledged it. He says, he says in verse number 41, uh, uh, the other rebuked him in verse 40, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He acknowledged his sin. The word of God had an effect on his heart. Friends, you and I need more of the scripture in our lives. Read it and study it and meditate on it and sing it and and memorize it, and in the morning, and in the evening, and at noon, the Bible, the power of the Bible, he allowed it to break through. The power of prayer. You know, the power of a voice, completely hopeless, crying out to God. Some of us ought to come to an altar this morning and just say, God, I... I 
Without you, I can do nothing. Here's this situation. Here it is, God. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I'm going through. And I'm fully depending on you now. Without you, I can do nothing. The power of prayer exceeding abundantly above all he could ask or think. Jesus answered him right there. Then the power of God to do a miracle in his life. I'm glad that in hopeless times, in desperate situations, we have a loving Savior who looks at us, who speaks to us, and who offers hope.